Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. Appreciate you joining us here on 103.1 FM, Super Talk Gulf Coast, or on Super Talk TV or on uh, YouTube or Facebook or your favorite podcast. We appreciate you joining us here on this show that celebrates the people who are working so hard to make Mississippi such a great place and also, honestly, to make it interesting. So many wonderful and interesting guests. But it is uh, Friday on uh, on Super Talk Gulf Coast, and what you get to see and hear today is my friend uh, Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. How you doing, Jeff? Ricky, I'm doing great. It's great to be on as always. How's the book going? Your your uh, Gleason book. We're in the final stages. I'd say we got a few weeks to go turning the manuscript. So it's getting we're with the finish lines in sight. The the light at the end of the tunnel. I remember uh, Sean Payton used to always tell the players when they showed up to training camp the first day, there is no light. You're in the tunnel. There's no light at the end right now. So just put your head down and go. We're actually seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, it's been a, it's been a long process, uh, one that will be very inspiring to a lot of people. You're working with one of the top book publishers in the country. This collaboration between you and Steve has been interesting in many ways. Obviously, the most important is the fact that what the story he has to tell about how he has overcome ALS and learned to live especially in the moment, is an inspiring message. And you said along the way that writing this book has changed yourself. But in addition to that, the process of writing the book, how you guys have had to communicate, the fact that Steve communicates with his eyes. And uh, along the way, his eyes have gotten tired and he's had to rest. And the, the turnaround between the, and the conversation is not your typical, like you and I here talking here on the on the uh, on the radio, but it's been fascinating to watch what you've been through. At the end of the day, uh, you have to feel good about what uh, what's about to happen in terms of the book. Yeah, well, it looks like right now, Ricky. We originally hoped to come out in January, release in January. It's going to be pushed back a little bit, uh, probably more closer to next April, uh, leading into ALS Awareness Month in the month of May. Also, of course, leading up to Father's Day, they think uh, the publisher thinks it'll be a very popular Father's Day book. So that's the latest on the book. You could actually pre-order it right now online, but it won't won't deliver till next April. But we're excited about it, and uh, it's like you said, Steve's had some developments with his eyes that have you know caused him to uh, his his production on his ability to write has been slowed considerably. Some days he's fine, other days it's just a byproduct of the disease. And uh, But to see him exhaust himself in the mission of completing this book is very uh, inspiring. Uh, and I could see why he played eight years in the NFL, uh, a guy that really uh, wasn't drafted uh, but forged a very long, productive uh, NFL career. You can see the same work ethic and all the intangibles that, that caused him to be successful in the NFL. 
Well, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see the launch of the book and how you guys tour. If you tour around the book, if the book ultimately becomes a movie, so much good will come from the story that you guys are telling. And um, I'm privileged to to call you a friend and and look forward to to sharing excerpts from the book with you on, on future shows. I, I I just know just because I've watched it through your stories and you're sort of letting us know along the way what you've gone through to write this book, that it's going to be truly inspiring. So I look forward to talking about that. Hey, you and I, we'll get to Saints here in just a second, but you and I have talked about Live Golf and PGA and the surprising announcement. If you go if you go look at if you just go do a search for for Live Golf PGA what you get is a is a tremendous amount of reaction, and most of it is not good, to be quite honest with you. And there are a lot of reasons why that is. Um, I posted on my Facebook page something by someone I've gotten to know over the course of the last couple of years, a guy by the name of Isaac Saul. Isaac was a journalist for many years and a really good one. He broke away and formed um, a, a newsletter that is called Tangle, T-A-N-G-L-E. And it's a, it's really good, actually. He wanted to, in this divided world, in this polarized world that we in, we're in, he wanted to develop a, a newsletter that tries to cut through the politics and recognizing that some media lean left and some media lean right. What he wanted to do is present objectively what the right is saying and what the left is saying, and then he gives you his take. And it's just really good. And so if you if you want to sort of get through the politics and understand sort of the political realm that media finds itself in today, it's a very interesting newsletter. <clears throat> I, Isaac wrote about it and he said that that uh, players and fans just essentially got screwed. And he goes into great depth about why we feel that way. Both both media on the right and the left have a very similar take on all of this. And I was really interested to read Tom Watson, you know, the the longtime professional golfer who is celebrated nearly every year for his contributions to the PGA. He wrote a scathing letter to Tom Monahan, and I'll just read one one paragraph from from Tom's letter, and you know, get your reaction, uh, Jeff, and then we'll decide. You know, we'll we'll move on. But here's here, here's what he said. Um, about what he referred to as the tour's hypocrisy. Um, Those questions are compounded by the hypocrisy of disregarding the moral issue, a position which for a long time was publicly highlighted by tour leadership. While it is accepted that players on all levels would value the opportunity to make more money, it has also been illustrated that not all players are in search of more money at all costs. Those who stayed true to the tour for whatever personal reason or position of moral conscience are more than are more are more than a few outliers, and the point is that only a few took the money. And um, the moral issues around this are just truly incredible. And it, and I guess once again we find ourselves in a position where we have to say, to what extent are we willing to put the moral issues aside? around Saudi Arabia and specifically the, the, the crown prince and, um, you know, how much money is enough money to, to get you over the moral hur- hur- hurdle. And I personally have not been able to get over the moral hur- hur- hurdle. And what I hope happens, that we end up having a tremendous debate about the culture of the PGA and what it stands for and who it represents in terms of the, the, the fan 
and and the majority of the players, and that this uh, this whole thing just collapses. That's what I hope happens. But what's your? You, I know you don't spend a lot of time thinking about this one, Jeff. But what's your latest thinking? Well, I'll just say this. I mean, look, it was a shocking development. I don't think anybody expected it. I remember texting with you that morning, and texting with some of my friends, uh, you know, that, that work at the Zurich Classic, and no one could believe it. Everyone thought it was a hoax at first. So it was one of the biggest stories of the year in in sports. There's no question about it. And I'm still trying to wrap my brain around, to be honest with you, Ricky. I, I, you know, I'm like you. I don't uh, believe we should be getting in bed with Saudi Arabia in any way, uh, you know, in any sports entity. And in, 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 in my my concern is, is this the tip of the iceberg? Does uh, Saudi Arabia go for other sports now? Is this sports washing that they're, you know, the term, is that going to spread to other uh, other fields? And, uh, you know, the PGA Tour was the first one to jump in. And I'm like you, um, how much money is enough? I mean, these, these players are making millions of dollars already. They're all-time high uh, purses in, on the PGA Tour. Uh, so at some point, uh, you know, how much is enough? And that's the question I have. And, and I don't I, I, I'd be shocked to see I've seen people write, oh, that, you know, that Saudi Arabia might one day buy an NFL team because they have so much money. Uh, I don't think that would ever happen. I think there would be enough votes in the NFL to uh, vote against that. Uh, so I, I'm just curious to see where this goes from here. Is it going to be isolated to the PGA Tour or is it going to grow beyond that? The Washington Post, Jeff, raised a series of important questions. Um, I think appropriately, the Washington Post, especially because of Jamal Khashoggi, you know, was a, a contributor for the Washington Post. But um, just a few of said, what happened to the PGA's tours? Horror of Saudi Arabia's repressive repression of regime critics. What about the regime's appalling treatment of women and religious minorities? What about the murder and dismemberment of post-contributing columnist uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi in uh, 2018? What about imprisoning people for decades for their social media postings? And it just goes on and on, and it ultimately raises the bar, raises the question, did the PGA get hustled? Um, sad state of affairs, really, because PGA, sort of like the NFL, and you pointed this out, this would never happen. Let's hope this would never happen in the NFL. But the reality that there are certain brands that are very unique to American, America and American values and America culture, it seemed like the PGA was part of that. So there's a lot working here that's beyond even the moral outrage. It's just simply what is truly American. Um, we'll continue our conversation on the other side with Jeff uh, Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. live or on demand and watch episodes of the ricky matthews show on your laptop desktop or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com 
His passion and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. And I, I want to say thanks to my friend Jeff for enabling me to do a slight uh, deviation from what our normal conversation would be. Uh, this whole notion around the PGA just bothers me. And the more you read about it, the more it should bother you that there is a there's a wholesome ethical aspect to to the PGA. But, you know, they've had some labor problems over the years. Uh, someone even said that might just be the tip of the iceberg. But at the end of the day, it's a uniquely American brand. And, um, you know, we're all in a, in a, in a bit of a... A fog now, trying to understand what does all this mean and how will it all turn out. So, you know, as, uh, as the Atlantic said, uh, stunning hypocrisy. Any any closing thoughts, uh, Jeff? Before we move on. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, about I think these big picture issues. This isn't the first time we've had some, uh, you know, political uh, debate about a. A sports league. If you remember a couple of years ago with China and the NBA's involvement in China, it's one of the, the biggest uh, supporters of the NBA. And of course, uh, there's been a lot of debate about that. You know, where how, where do these sports leagues stop, and, and and where does the political affiliation start to bleed into their business model? And um, that happened a few years ago with China. I know the NBA tried to tried to sweep that under the rug and move on from it. And it, it reminds me a little bit of what we're seeing here. Obviously, a lot more heinous stuff going on with Saudi Arabia, but very similar in that I think a lot of fans on the ground don't look at it. They just want to watch the sport. But there's also, you know, something much greater context that we have to consider here. I agree. And it's uh, it's. Uh... It's, it's complicated. It is global in nature. When I think about the NBA, because I, I, I do agree that that is, that is a, a, a worthy comparison, it's different in, the, in that the PGA sees its growth opportunities globally and that one of the big opportunities for the NBA is in China and the relationship that China has not only with the NBA, but shoe, shoe manufacturers and you know the the whole nine yards, and that the size of China and the and the man economically how that creates such a great market for them, and I, I think any uh, sport that has a global uh, um, growth model is going to run into those kind of issues. But in this case, you don't have China trying to buy the NBA. <laughs> I mean, literally the entire NBA. In this case, you have this morally, you know, compromised country that is literally buying the PGA. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a really incredible thing. Some people def- have defended it, and I've, I, you know, in Facebook conversations that I've had. But when I get below the surface with those people, they don't really understand what the issues are. They don't get it. You know, they might have been. Uh, a Phil Mickelson fan, and you know they're they're glad to to see him coming back into the fall, but they don't really understand the moral issues, the nine why nine eleven uh, is even part of the conversation, and so on. So it's a it's a complicated thing. I get that, but I hope it collapses. That's kind of where I am in the conversation. Uh, so Jeff, it's been a little bit quiet. There's been some interesting stories that have been coming out of your team. Um, you wrote a great column that sort of extended the the ongoing conversation that you and I have been having about the uh, contribution having 
uh, uh, Derek Carr at the table and what he's done to increase the optimism uh, of the team. But uh, I mean, that is that is uh, you know I think no one no one argues with that, do they? I mean, it's it, it has created an optimism, and you know where there's hope, there's a positive attitude when people can get around or aligned around a goal, which is something they weren't able to really do the last couple of years, in spite of all their best efforts. They, there was always this question at quarterback, and uh, to some to some degree, we've at least for the time being resolved that. And there's a real positive, you know, air uh, that you that you see when you're in training camp, when you're walking around the city, and and you wrote about it, didn't you? Well, he's definitely instilled a lot of confidence in the team, not just the players. I think the coaches. Uh, Everyone out on airline drive, uh, I think, has confidence now because it's such a quarterback-driven league, Ricky. I mean, just look at who wins the Super Bowl every year. It's usually a team with an elite quarterback. Now, obviously, it's June. Uh, Every team in the league, if you just look around the league, I have a lot of websites I can follow that kind of aggregate all the stories from around the NFL. And everyone's got glowing headlines. You know, every team's improved. So I'm always kind of – leery about getting too carried away but the one thing i would say is there's no doubt that Derek carr has instilled confidence in this team and and at the quarterback position that leadership ability that is exhibited more so than just his ability during practice to know where to go with the ball and the command of the huddle and all those things you look for um i think more his presence and understanding of what a franchise quarterback has to act like and how he has to carry himself that's been what's impressive to me. I didn't know that about him before he came here. And seeing him operate, talking to people in the building, uh, you know, th- we've talked about before, he doesn't have to be Drew Brees. I mean, this team is talented in a lot of other areas. They have a very good defense, and they're in a bad division. They play a very user-friendly schedule. Uh, they just have to be better at quarterback than they've been the last couple of years, and I don't think there's any doubt about it that they're going to be more competent at that position. It is. It's good to see, um, as you've, as you uh, have said many times before, is very Drew Brees like, and I love the way you talked about his optimism. You said that that uh, Drew Brees is often the most optimistic person in the room, and if it's possible, Derek Carr outpaces his optimism. Right. You know, yeah. I love look, the way bro- you talk about that. We broke this this morning. Uh, you may have seen it. Uh, Saints training camp, in case you're interested in coming over, you know, there'll be open practices to the public as usual. They open camp on the 24th. The first practice will be the 26th. Don't know yet what days. This is in July. I'm sorry, July 24th. The first day of practice will be the 26th. Don't know yet exactly what days will be open to the public. That'll come later. But if you're planning, just know uh, around that time, 31st is the first day in full pads. That, that day will be open to the public. Uh, but there'll be lots of opportunities for fans to drive over from the Gulf Coast if we want to see the Saints in person and endure the heat, unfortunately, uh, of you know South Louisiana in late July. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I wonder, you know, we've we've seen them try these different facilities for training camp. Some that were climate friendly, some that were not, but they seem to have settled back in the matter. You think they'll ever uh, move out again? I'm on Team Greenbrier, man. I loved it up in West Virginia because of the weather, because of the beautiful surroundings. But uh, I think they're, they're, they're pretty content being in South Louisiana. They like being able to, to show off for the fans, let the fans come, enjoy it. 
you know, I think it probably makes them a little bit of money, but I think it's more about uh, letting the fans get start get excited for the season. And, uh, you know, the one thing I did find out is, you know, they're going to have joint practices here before their last two preseason games. The, the preseason game against the Houston Texans is going to be here in the Dome. They'll practice against the Texans, but those practices will not be open to the public. I did find that out. Uh, but when they go out to L.A. against the Chargers, they'll practice against the Chargers before they play them in the preseason. Those actually end up being more instructive for the coaching staff and some of the veteran players than the actual preseason games when a lot of these guys don't even play. These these in intra-squad practices against the other teams, to me, are the most um, competitive affairs of preseason. And the Saints have two of them this year, which is which is unique. Yeah, Greenbrier was an interesting chapter. I, I had this just this is a side note, but I have this I have this memory of Jim Amos coming to me and saying um, the team wants to rent a house in Greenbrier. It, you know, the the hotel situation is not great. And do, do I remember that right? Did you guys did, oh, yeah. did you rent a house? Yeah, we found a big old house that you know we had probably had six of us in there, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it felt like uh, you know the, the Waltons or something. We, we were in this big house <laughs> in a small town in West Virginia. I loved it though. I mean, the weather was beautiful. Uh, I could see why they wanted to go up there. Uh, yeah. Fans, you know how fans are, Ricky. Those years they were there, they never had a winning season. I don't think so. They they've sworn off West Virginia as the jinx on the Saints uh, prospects. So I don't, and that was a Sean Payton, uh, you know, fueled uh, excursion. I mean, that was all about Sean Payton. So with him gone now, I don't expect they'll go back there. I, I remember uh, just one other quick point. Uh, the the owner of Greenbrier ultimately became the governor of West Virginia. And it was, yeah. I remember a, a special kind of get together at the, at the uh, Saints facility and uh, with a small group of community leaders and, we got a chance to hear him speak, and Ann and I afterwards uh, visited with him for for a good long time. And um, what a colorful character he was. But what he built in Greenbrier is super special, and as you said, the climate was perfect for that time of year. Hey, listen, one of the cool things coming out of uh, out of the the at least so far is uh, the conversations around Taysom Hill that we're probably going to see him more in a receiver role going forward. And it's exciting to see that he's, you know, they are going to really try to tap into his talents more. We'll talk more about that next week. We're kind of out of time for today. But, Jeff, I appreciate you visiting with me today, my friend. Yeah, have a great weekend, everyone out there. Try and stay cool in this uh, sultry weather. We'll talk next week, Ricky. I always enjoy it, buddy. You bet, man. It's, it's a great pleasure. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll see you after this. Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.